Welcome and thank you for joining us. Here at Calvary Chapel Eldoret, we believe in impacting and changing people's lives through the Bible, which is the only inspired and infallible Word of God. For more information, be sure to check out our website at ccelderet.org. That is ccelderet.org. And here is today's word. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 5. Let us pray before we start. The Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the timelessness of it. Thank you for everything that you teach us in it. We pray that you'll help us to learn and understand your word more tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this study, we're going to study uh, why God brought these very specific plagues on Egypt that he brought on them, and also why God treated Pharaoh in the way that he did during these plagues. It's a very fascinating study. Um, but just some background, so obviously the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and they had actually been living in Egypt for 430 years up until this point, which is a very long time. It's probably at least five times longer than any of us will live. And they had been in bondage all this time and had been mistreated by the Egyptians and they'd been crying out to God. And God does hear their cry. And so we have this episode of Moses um, speaking to God through the burning bush. And God says to him, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So this is obviously good news for Israel because God's going to bring them out of Egypt. Um, but Moses then makes these excuses, if you remember. He'll, he asks God, um, what if the Israelites don't want to listen to me and follow me? Um, I, I'm not a good speaker. How am I going to speak before Pharaoh? And this is a little bit annoying to God. Um, but nevertheless, God gives him Aaron, his brother, to help him. And so that's where we are here in Exodus chapter 5. So starting in verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. And this is um, a very important few statements from Pharaoh. Remember these statements as we go through this Bible study. Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice? I do not know the Lord. So because Moses and Aaron had pressed Pharaoh here to release the Israelites, Pharaoh gets angry. Um, he thinks that they, are, that they have audacity to come and ask him that, and he makes the situation worse for the Israelites. If you remember, they used to make bricks, and now he tells them that they have to go and collect the straw to make the bricks, and, and they, he just gives them the, the same amount of time as before. So the Israelites are very discouraged and upset, and they come to Moses and complain to him. And Moses then goes to God. Then Exodus chapter 6, this is where God reassures Moses, and he says that, I will indeed bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And in verse 6 of chapter 6, God says, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, 
I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And these great judgments that God talks about in this verse is what we're going to look at in this study. Then we go to Exodus 7. God again commands Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell him to send the Israelites out of Egypt. But in verse 4, God tells Moses this, But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. So here, if you notice, God gives us two reasons for why he's about to do, um, for what he's about to do. And the first one is so that he can bring his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt and demonstrate to them that he is a faithful God and that he's worthy uh, of their worship. And secondly, so that he can use these great judgments on Egypt to demonstrate to them that he is the only God, the one true God. And then after this, we have the story of Aaron's miraculous rod. So God says to Moses and Aaron that when Pharaoh asks, to, asks you to show him a sign, show him a miracle, Aaron should throw his rod before Pharaoh and it will turn into a snake. And so this is what Aaron does and his rod turns into a snake. But Pharaoh's magicians are able to imitate this particular miracle and their rods also turn into snakes. And although Aaron's rod then consumes all of their rods, Pharaoh is still not very impressed with this miracle that Aaron did. And so he hardens his heart and he doesn't let the Israelites leave. And this brings us to the first plague, which is in chapter 7. And this is the plague of waters uh, becoming blood. So chapter 7, verse 14. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him, and the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. So here again, God is telling Pharaoh the reason for his judgments. It's so that he will come to know that he is the Lord. Then carrying on, and still in verse 17, Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Of the river. So Moses and Aaron then do exactly what God says. Aaron stretches out his rod, and all the waters in Egypt are turned into blood. And at this point, some people may question whether it's really true. How could God turn water um, into blood? Uh, where did the blood come from? How is this possible? Um, and even maybe some Christians or even Jews who obviously study the Old Testament they too may think that this is just something like mythology. So they believe it's still relevant, we should still study it, but it didn't actually happen, it's just a myth. But of course it did really happen, 
Because if God was able to turn water into wine, then he's able to turn water into blood. We may not know exactly how it happened, but we also don't have a complete picture of God, so we can't understand God completely. So we don't need to try and help God out by deciding whether or not he would have been capable of turning water into blood, because we don't fully understand God. All we have is a small picture of who God is. And this is where it gets quite interesting. Early, I gave the two reasons for why God wanted to judge the Egyptians in the way that he did. And these were firstly to save the Israelites and to show them that he's a faithful God and worthy of their worship. And secondly, so that he could show the Egyptians that there is one true God, which by extension means that these Egyptian gods that they had were not real gods. So what God does is he actually uses specific plagues that are relevant to specific Egyptian gods. This is because these specific Egyptian gods were supposedly in control of the things that these plagues are about. Or at other times, the plagues represent a physical characteristic of some of the gods. For example, um, there were gods who had frog heads, so then there's the plague of the frogs. But in this particular example, the first plague, which is water into blood, this was probably aimed at the Egyptian gods who were in control of the Nile River, or, were, or who were somehow connected to the Nile River. And Preston, you can show slide one. These gods were called Apis, who was god of the Nile, Isis, goddess of the Nile, Knum, guardian of the Nile, and Osiris, whose bloodstream was believed to be the Nile itself. And these are some of the biggest gods in Egypt, the most important gods to them. And they are actually uh, Egyptian gods that are relevant to each of the plagues that God brings. But the Egyptians, again, they're able to imitate this miracle that Aaron is, and Moses do through God. And you may ask how they were able to mimic this if they were magicians, they weren't being used by God. And the answer is by demonic power. Um, they were able to imitate miracles of God through demonic power. And Satan is a great imitator. He is able to do some of the supernatural and miraculous things that God is able to do because he operates in the supernatural world. And actually, one of the signs of the Antichrist uh, when he comes will be his remarkable ability to perform all kinds of signs and wonders and miracles. That will be one of the ways that he will be able to be noticed. Um, and so miracles are things that God's people are supposed to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. But Satan is able to do such things, and so are his demonic devices. We're even told that Satan is able to transform himself into an angel of light so that he can deceive us. So Satan does try and imitate the work of God. And we also know that when the Antichrist comes, he will actually sit in the temple of God and demand worship, and that's probably going to be because of the miracles that he's able to perform. So supernatural wonders are not just performed um, by God's people, um, but they can also be uh, performed through satanic, demonic 
devices. So here the magicians are able to imitate the first plague, but actually when you think about it, by them imitating what Aaron did, they actually made the problem worse. So they actually turned more of the water into blood in Egypt. So they weren't helping the problem, they actually made it worse by trying to imitate what Aaron was doing. So as they tried to diminish or repress the power of God through Aaron, the plagues actually get worse because they're imitating it. Um, but because these magicians were able to do these things, Pharaoh hardens his heart and he doesn't let the people go. So then we get to the second plague. This is in Exodus chapter 8, and it's the plague of the frogs. And the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So notice here that God actually gives Pharaoh a pre-warning. He tells him that if he doesn't let his people go, then this is what will happen. And he even tells him about the particular plague that will come. And God didn't do this in the first plague. He just, he just told Aaron to stretch out his rod and he turned the water into blood. Now, earlier we saw that the Egyptians worshipped the Nile River through these different gods to do with the Nile. Um, they also worshipped animals. Some of these animals are things like snakes, lions, but also frogs. And um, because they worshipped frogs, they couldn't kill frogs uh, because they believed that they were sacred. So here, with this plague, God, it's like God saying, Oh, you, you worship frogs, I'll give you plenty of frogs. And Egypt is absolutely covered in frogs. And here in Kenya, now with the rains, we're starting to see more of these <clears throat> small little green frogs. I don't know if you know the ones I mean, the ones that sit in tree leaves, like banana trees. And they, maybe they are fascinating when you see one of them, or two of them. And maybe a child will go up to them and even think that they're cute and, and wants to touch them. But if you imagine Kenya being covered with billions and billions of frogs, they will not be fascinating anymore. They will not be cute. It will be absolutely terrible. And this is what it was like in Egypt. But God describes what it will be like a little bit more in verse 3. He says, So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. And the frog shall come up on you, on your people, and on all your servants." So you get the picture. Sometimes um, in our house we may see the odd cockroach somewhere. And whenever Sophie sees the cockroach, she quickly gets the spray and she completely fumigates that room. So the room is basically unusable for the next hour. Um, so she's always horrified by seeing something like a cockroach. Now imagine that you're not just seeing the odd cockroach or some ants in your house, but everywhere you look in your kitchen, there are frogs jumping out of everywhere, out of your oven, on your kettle, in your cutlery, in the cupboards. Then you go upstairs and you open your bed to go to bed and frogs jump out. And then you go to the, to the bathroom and frog, a frog lands on your head. And then there's one in your pants and one on your shoes. This is what it was like. 
So it was extremely terrible what happened in Egypt. Um, but in verse 7, we see that the magicians were able to do something similar again, probably making the problem worse again for Egypt because more frogs were coming out of the river or from wherever they were coming. But what Pharaoh says in the next verse, in, in verse 8, is interesting. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. So remember earlier in chapter 5, I said, remember these statements that Pharaoh makes here. He says, Who is the Lord? I do not know the Lord. But here he says, entreat the Lord, or pray to the Lord. So here he's very much acknowledging God. Um, he's basically asking Moses to pray to God, and that's the God of Israel. And then after that he says, he will let the people sacrifice to God. So he's definitely acknowledging God, when earlier he said, who is God? Interestingly, Moses then gives Pharaoh uh, a unique opportunity. He says to Pharaoh, you can tell me exactly when you want me to pray to God, to intercede for you, when you want these frogs to disappear. And Pharaoh says, okay, you can intercede tomorrow. Uh, that's when I want the frogs to disappear. And Moses is happy about this because it then gives him an opportunity to demonstrate to Pharaoh that it is really God who's in control and it's not going to be a coincidence when these frogs suddenly disappear the next day. So the next day Moses cries out to God and God responds by killing all the frogs that were in the land. Um, and the, the Bible says that the Egyptians actually gather all the frogs in heaps and that there was a terrible smell in the land. So bearing in mind that these frogs were worshipped by the Egyptians, and that killing a frog was a big crime, possibly even punishable by death, for there to be all of these piles of frogs everywhere, God was basically making a fool out of all these Egyptian gods, because they were supposed to be able to control what was happening. And they were completely powerless in stopping this plague. So this particular plague is probably aimed at the Egyptian gods who had frogs' heads. Um, you can Thanks, Preston. These were Hecate, the frog-headed goddess of birth, and Kek, the frog-headed god of darkness. But when Pharaoh sees that all the frogs have been killed and that there's some reprieve in the land, he again, he hardens his heart and he doesn't let the people go. So then we get on to the third plague, which is lice. So this is in verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. This time, God doesn't mercifully give Pharaoh a pre-warning. He simply tells Aaron to stretch out his rod again. But we must never think that God is unfair when he doesn't show mercy in a particular situation. If God was to be completely fair, he would never show mercy. And that's because when there's a wrongdoing, there has to be a punishment. So fairness actually isn't the same thing as mercy. Mercy transcends fairness. 
So if God decides to not give mercy in a, in a particular situation, he's not being unfair. In fact, he's, way, he's, he's very, very merciful most of the time. Um, we do not know if these things were actually lice. It says lice, but they may have also been mosquitoes. Um, the word that's used here is only used twice, and in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, um, the word that is used is the one for mosquitoes, so it may have been mosquitoes. I personally hate mosquitoes, and it's one of the things I don't really like about living in Kenya, having to deal with mosquitoes. Every time I want to go to bed at night, I then have to spend half an hour trying to catch all the mosquitoes, just so I can sleep in peace. Um, so having like five mosquitoes in your room, that's annoying enough. But now imagine that there are billions and billions of mosquitoes just buzzing around everywhere. I, I think I would find it intolerable. I don't know what I would do. Then if we continue on in verse 17. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. What's interesting here is that if it was lice rather than mosquitoes, this plague would have been detrimental to the Egyptian worship system. So the Egyptians had very strict laws about cleanliness when they were worshiping their god, their, or their gods. They had to have all these ritualistic cleansing practices, and so if they were covered in lice, then they couldn't worship their gods. And also, the Egyptians were involved in animal sacrifice, like much of the ancient world uh, was. And so if the animals were infected, infested with lice, then the animals would not be acceptable as sacrifices anymore. So what this plague did was effectively remove the whole sacrificial system that they had towards their gods. Um, now verse 18. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. This is the first plague that these Egyptian magicians are not able to imitate. This is the limits of their power. And given that this plague was all about converting dust into lice or into mosquitoes, this plague was probably aimed at the Egyptian gods who had control over the dust of the earth. And Preston, you can show slide three. These were Geb, God over the dust of the earth, and Set, God of the desert. But if these gods were really in control of these things, if they were in control of the dust of the earth, surely they could have stopped the dust being turned into lice or into mosquitoes. So this is actually God judging these Egyptian gods showing them that not only is he greater than them, but he's also the only God. Verse 19, Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. So here the magicians clearly acknowledge um, that it is the God of Israelites who is the only God. And not these supposed gods of the Egyptians. They are effectively saying to Pharaoh, This is the finger of the one true God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. And this brings us to the fourth plague, which is the plague of flies. 
Here, God tells Moses to get up early in the morning and go down to the water and, and meet Pharaoh. And he tells Moses to tell Pharaoh to let the people go so that they can serve him. And that if he doesn't, that God will send swarms of flies all over the land of Egypt and into the houses of the Egyptians. Again, we don't know if these are flies in the sense of the flies that we know today, like house flies. They were definitely a type of flying insect, but many commentators agree that this was actually a type of beetle, and specifically a type of beetle um, that was known as a scarab beetle. So God then tells Pharaoh that he will also set apart the land of Goshen in this plague. So the land of Goshen was the part of Egypt where all the Israelites were staying. So God says to Pharaoh, when I bring this plague, it's not going to hit in Goshen. All the Israelites will be completely unaffected. Um, I'm going to make a division between you and between my people. And again, remember what Pharaoh said in chapter 5, who is the Lord? I do not know the Lord. So here God's saying to him, I'm going to show you who I am. You're going to get to know who the Lord is. So then God did as he said he would, and the land was full of swarms. This plague was probably aimed at the Egyptian god who had a scarab beetle head. And Preston, you can show slide four. This was the Egyptian god called Kepri. So then Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron again and tells them that they can go and sacrifice to God in the land. And it's important, this last bit where he says, in the land. This is very significant because it's the first time that Pharaoh offers a compromise. He says that they can go and sacrifice to their God, but they must do it in the land that they are living in. He doesn't allow them to leave the land. And the enemy, the devil, he also often tries to offer us compromises. When you decide to give your life to the Lord, the enemy has to change his tactics and he has to revert to trying to make you to compromise in your life. He's already lost the battle um, where you've now given your life to the Lord, but what he will then try and do is bring you down by trying to make you compromise in your life. So he could say something to you like, okay, so you've decided to follow the Lord, that's fine, but you don't need to obey him in every single little thing. You don't need to get all weird and all religious. Yeah, you can be a Christian and you can just carry on doing some of the things you were doing before. You may say something like, some of the commands that you read in the Bible are a little bit old, they're outdated, they don't apply to you anymore. They are not relevant in today's world. Just do whatever makes you happy. If anyone ever tells you to just do whatever makes you happy, that is not good advice and you shouldn't accept it. We are obviously people who are inherently sinful. Um, we are fleshly people. And if we just do what makes us happy, then we will definitely sin against God. We should do what makes God happy. So um, just, just as Pharaoh says to the Israelites to stay and to worship God in the land where they were already in, this reminds us of something that Satan could say to us. He can say, just stay here. You don't need to leave. You can still worship God in this situation that you're in right now. 
But staying in a certain situation that you should not be staying in is giving the devil a foothold. That's really important. Staying in a situation that you should not be staying in is giving the devil a foothold. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is James chapter 4, verse 4. Sometimes it's completely necessary for us to completely remove ourselves from a situation that may um, lead to ungodliness or, or that is an ungodly situation itself. But here Moses makes up a very clever excuse. He knows that the Egyptians worship some of the animals, including their livestock. And so he says to Pharaoh, we can't offer our sacrifices to God here because then the Egyptians will stone us because of how we are sacrificing the animals, which they um, regard as uh, sacred. So we need to leave Egypt and we need to take a three days journey out of Egypt. And Pharaoh actually accepts um, this proposal from Moses. And in verse 28, he says, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away. So you'll see here that there's a second compromise that is offered by Pharaoh. They can go, but they can't go very far. Again, the devil may say something to you like, you can change some of your habits, you can change some of your priorities, but don't go too far with it. Don't become extreme like these weird Christian people. Moses actually seems to accept this offer um, from Pharaoh, and so he intercedes before God, and so God removes the swarms from Egypt. However, Pharaoh then quickly changes his mind, and he hardens his heart once again, and he does not let the people go. This brings us to the fifth plague, which is the diseased livestock in chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And then God goes on to say that he will also separate the, the livestock that is Israel's from the livestock that is Egypt's. And only Egypt's um, livestock will be struck with this disease. So God does exactly as he said he would do, and all the livestock that was Egypt's livestock dies, whereas all the uh, Israelites' livestock are unharmed by this disease. And this plague was probably aimed at the Egyptian gods who had control over agriculture and possibly also those that were depicted as animals like bulls. So these were, you can show slide five, the Egyptian god Osiris, who was god of agriculture, Apis, um, who was often depicted as a bull, Tar, he was a creator god and also manifested by this Apis bull, and Hathor, who was the goddess of fertility, and if you look closely, she's got cow horns uh, on her head. And notice again that these gods are completely powerless 
in stopping this plague that God is bringing up, uh, upon Egypt. But Pharaoh hardens his heart again, and he still doesn't let the people go. So then we get to the sixth plague, which is the plague of boils. This is in verse 8. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace, and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So Moses and, Pharaoh, uh, Moses and Aaron take ashes from a furnace and they throw it up into the air in front of Pharaoh and it creates all these boils on all the Egyptians. And the Bible says that even the magicians were not able to stand before Moses anymore because of all the boils that they had all over them. This plague was probably aimed at the Egyptian gods who had control over health, over healing and over epidemics. You can show slide six, Preston. Uh, these were Isis, goddess of health, Imhotep, god of healing, and Sekhmet, goddess of epidemics. And notice again that these gods are completely powerless before God and they can't stop this outbreak of boils over everyone. In verse 12 of this chapter, chapter 9, we read, But the Lord hardened the hearts of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. And this is very significant because this is the first time that we see God hardening the hearts of Pharaoh after a plague. In all the previous plagues, plagues 1 to 5, it was Pharaoh who was hardening his own heart. But now we see God judging Pharaoh so that he causes Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's heart to be hardened and even harder than it was before. So then we get on to the seventh plague, the plague of hail, starting in verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me, for at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Again, remember what God said to Pharaoh in chapter 5, uh, sorry, what Pharaoh said about God in chapter 5, who is the Lord? I do not know the Lord. So here God is telling him that he is going to learn exactly who he is, and that there is none like him in all the earth. Carrying on from verse uh, 15, now if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. So this is speaking about the sovereignty of God. God says, for this very purpose I have raised you up, Pharaoh. And some people may wonder, uh, why it is that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. It's like he's taking away the free will of Pharaoh. But you have to remember that Pharaoh had been keeping the Israelites as slaves for many years and oppressing them and hardening his heart towards them. And even after God specifically commands Pharaoh to release the Israelites and let them leave the land, 
he continues to harden his heart. And we saw this um, in, through the first five plagues. He continues to harden his heart after every single plague. So when God decides to start hardening Pharaoh's heart for him, what he's doing is actually judging Pharaoh. And he could have judged Pharaoh in a different way. He could have just killed Pharaoh. That would have been a fair judgment. Um, justice would have been done. But the way that he decides to deal with Pharaoh is to harden his heart even more. And the reason for that is because he has a very specific purpose in all this. He wants to demonstrate that he is the one true God. All these Egyptian gods are not real gods. And he wants to even demonstrate to his own people um, that he is the one true God and the faithful God. So God's making it very clear here who, who he is, and he's giving an invitation to anyone who wants to turn to him knowing full well that he is God. It's, it's been pretty clear up until this point with all these different plagues. After this, God promises to send heavy hail over Egypt the next day, the worst hail Egypt has ever experienced. He tells Pharaoh and the Egyptians to gather their livestock and servants from the fields and to take them undercover. And those Egyptians who feared the word of the Lord, they actually did uh, flee to their homes, um, but those who didn't fear God, they left their livestock and their servants in the fields. So here we see that God actually gives the Egyptians 24 hours notice of what he's about to do. So that if there are any who do fear him, then they are able to take precautions. So the next day God brings hail and lightning all over Egypt. Um, it hits the servants, the animals, the crops, the trees. The Bible talks about how the land is severely damaged, except again for the land of Goshen, which is where the Israelites are staying in Egypt. The hail didn't hit that part of the land at all. Um, so this plague was probably aimed at the Egyptian gods who were in control of the sky, air, and wind. These were Nut, the goddess of the sky, and Shu, god of the air and wind. You can show this, Preston, slide seven. Then in verse 27, the Bible says, And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. You can wonder, what about all the other times, Pharaoh? Is this the first time you've sinned? He says, the Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord, that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. So it's interesting here, because Pharaoh actually uh, makes a confession. He says, I have sinned this time. And if he's saying that he has sinned, then he must believe in the God of the Israelites and that he has sinned against that particular God. He says that he has seen that the Lord is righteous, that they deserve the judgments of God because him and his people are wicked. But it seems to be an insincere confession from Pharaoh, and we'll see that there's actually no repentance uh, that follows at all. If a person comes to the conclusion that they have sinned or that they're a sinner, just stating that mere fact doesn't do anything about your sin. What has to follow is change. You have to decide to stop going in the direction that you were going in, stop doing what you were doing. That's what repentance is. So then in verse 29, um, 
Moses says to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. So again, Moses makes God's intention clear here. He wants everyone to see that he is in control. The earth is the Lord's. He is the one true God. Then carrying on in verse 30, But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. And Moses then goes out the city, he lifts his hand, and um, God stops the hail and the thunder. If we go down to verse 34, the Bible says, And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So this shows very clearly again that it was Pharaoh who decided to harden his heart again. This time it's not God. And again, he doesn't let the Israelites go. So God responds to him hardening his heart again um, in the next plague. So this is the eighth plague, the plague of the locusts in Exodus chapter 10. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants. So we see God responding here by hardening his heart because Pharaoh hardened his heart. That I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your, and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So here God reveals that he's also doing these things so that um, the next generations of the Israelites will also be able to know that he is the one true God and that the story will be passed on um, from generation to generation, even until the present day, as we are reading it here. When Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and they tell him that God says, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. And God continues on to say that if Pharaoh doesn't let, doesn't let them go, that he will then bring locusts into Egypt on the following day. And at this point, even Pharaoh's servants are very concerned and they really want Pharaoh to just give in and um, that he would just let the Israelites go. And so they say to him, how long will you continue to let this man carry on with what he's doing? Just let him do what he wants. Haven't you seen that the whole of Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron are brought in to Pharaoh again and Pharaoh says to them, you can go and serve the God, but he also wants to know exactly who's going to go with. Moses replies, we're going to take everyone, from adults to children, we're going to take all our animals, we're all going to the wilderness because we want to have this feast to the Lord. And Pharaoh gets very angry, and he says that they will definitely not take their children with them, but otherwise they can go. And he chases uh, Moses and Aaron out of his presence. So again, this is the third compromise. Um, Pharaoh says that they can go, but they can't take their children. And the devil's attempts to make us to compromise are unending. Just like here, how we see Pharaoh tries to do compromise after compromise. And sometimes the devil may target even your children, like Pharaoh does here. He could say something to you like, don't uh, burden your children with making them 
following God as strictly as you are following God. Maybe all the children at school are going to tease your children uh, and laugh at them, and maybe they're, they're going to suffer as a result of you trying to follow after God so much. But we should not compromise when it comes to our children. It's actually very important that we teach our children about the Bible and God even from a very young age. The Bible says that we should train up our children in the way that they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. So this offer is um, an unacceptable offer that Pharaoh gives and God does then follow through and bring the locusts all over Egypt. The Bible says it was very severe, so severe, that there have never been locusts like them before and there never will be. So you can imagine just how bad this must have been. Uh, sometimes here in Kenya and in Eastern Africa, um, there are these swarms of locusts, especially in Northern Kenya. And if you see pictures, like, they completely cover the fields. You can't even see the crops. All you can see is locusts. And the Bible said that there will never be locusts as bad as there was here. Um, so this plague was probably aimed at the Egyptian gods who controlled storms and agriculture. You can show you slide eight, Preston. These were Set, god of storms, and Nepri, god of grain, and also Osiris, the god of agriculture. In verse 16, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So Moses intercedes before God. God takes away the locusts. But the Lord judges Pharaoh again and he hardens his heart again. And so Pharaoh doesn't let the Israelites go. So then we get on to the ninth plague. This is um, chapter 10, verse 21. And this is the plague of darkness. In this plague, God brought a very thick darkness over the whole of Egypt. People couldn't even see each other, except for, again for the Israelites. It, it says, the Bible says, in the houses of the Israelites they had light. This plague was probably aimed at the Egyptian gods who controlled the sun and the sky. You can show slide nine. These were Ra, god of the sun, and Horus, god of the sky. Then Pharaoh calls to Moses and tells him that they can go and serve God, even with their children, but that they would have to leave their animals behind. So this is the fourth compromise. This is the last compromise that Pharaoh attempts. Moses replies that he must let them take the animals into the wilderness because the reason why they are going is to go and sacrifice to their God and they won't know which animals God will require from them until they get there. So he insists um, that they take their animals. But God hardens Pharaoh's heart once again and Pharaoh does not let them go. Pharaoh gets extremely angry at this point and tells Moses that he has to leave and he never wants to see him again, and that if he does see Moses again, that he'll kill Moses. And it's funny because Moses actually agrees with Pharaoh when he says this, and he says, you have spoken well. Um, what you have said is true, you won't see me again. So then we get to the 10th plague, and this is the death of the firstborn, and this is in Exodus chapter 12. 
In this chapter, God, having forewarned the Israelites to mark their doorposts and their lintels with the blood of what was called the Passover lamb, he then kills all the firstborn in Egypt, um, except for those houses where the, the doorpost and the lintels were stained with the blood of the lamb. So all the Israelites, uh, sorry, all the Egyptian firstborn were killed, but the, the houses where the doors had this blood on, the firstborn were not killed. And so all the Israelite families are okay, but not Egypt's including Pharaoh's own son, and he was next in line to become king uh, in Egypt, or what's called the Pharaoh. So Pharaoh is devastated by this, it's extremely bad for him, and this plague was probably aimed at the Egyptian gods who controlled medicine, healing, and childbirth. It was also probably specifically aimed at Pharaoh, because Pharaoh was seen as a god um, in Egypt, even though he was a human, and of course his son was killed as well. And so you can show this in slide 10, Preston. These gods were Circuit, goddess of fertility, um, Meshkinet, goddess of childbirth, and also obviously Pharaoh, who was the ruler over Egypt and whose son had also just been killed. It's probably better to say that all these plagues um, were aimed at Egypt's gods collectively. Um, it wasn't just limited to these specific gods that I've talked to you about. There were more gods in Egypt, so those other gods weren't excluded. All of these judgments and all of these plagues were against Egypt's gods as a whole. But obviously we see that God chooses very specific plagues, and that's to show us that he is judging the Egyptian gods, because the Egyptian gods were in control of these different things. Um, so when this plague strikes in the middle of the night, Pharaoh quickly calls for Moses and Aaron and tells them to go as they have asked, taking with them everything, including all their children, including all their animals. And this plague is very significant and interesting because God relates Pharaoh's past actions as, as well as God's future actions to this. If you remember in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh had ordered the killing of all the male Hebrews who were born during that time, and that's obviously how Moses is found in the basket. Um, and here, Pharaoh's son is killed. His, own, his, um, his firstborn son is going to become the next Pharaoh. The death of the Hebrew sons in Egypt um, was also foreshadowing of the death of obviously God's one and only son. As is the Passover lamb, which was all that was able to save these uh, Israelite firstborns from not being killed. The Passover lamb is obviously ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, who was and is the only one who is able to save us from our sins. And that's why the Bible calls him the Lamb, the Lamb of God. He was without blemish, he never sinned. Just like all these animals had to be the perfect animals, they couldn't have any blemishes, they couldn't have any deformities, they had to be the perfect animals. Jesus being God, who never sinned, he is the perfect Lamb for us. So we see some foreshadowings here in the story. So Pharaoh's stubbornness towards God 
and cruelty towards God's people resulted in God using him as an example to bring these very strong judgments on those who continue to rebel against God, arrogantly mock him, and who continue to test him. We should be reminded that although God is incredibly merciful, which we continue to see throughout the Bible, he is also holy, and he is also righteous, and he is also just. There is a limit to how much we can stubbornly rebel against God and how much we can provoke him. Just as in the case of Pharaoh, God doesn't appreciate um, insincere confession and when you don't actually want to follow through with repentance. He doesn't appreciate continued um, stubbornness against him, like Pharaoh showed here. He carried out the ultimate act of mercy towards us by sending his son to us, the ultimate Passover lamb, to atone for our sins. If we embrace, embrace him and his son, <coughs> then we will be saved. And of course, we must follow this up with um, changed actions, repentance. But if we continue to reject him and his son, then we cannot be saved. And we will face the ultimate judgment, which will be a far worse judgment than all of these judgments that Egypt and Pharaoh experienced. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for <clears throat> your righteous judgments. Thank you that you are a holy God, you are a righteous God, and you are a good God. Thank you for your undeserved kindness, your mercy. You are so merciful to us. <clears throat> you actually transcend fairness because if you were fair, we would all be condemned continually. But that's not who you are. Thank you for sending us your Passover lamb, your holy son, to save us from our sins, if only we would wholeheartedly turn to you. Help us to spread the news of what your son has done to all those around us so that we, so that we can encourage them to also turn to you, so that they can also be spared from your righteous judgments and so that they can also know their saviour. Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. We hope that you've been inspired and blessed. For more teachings and other resources, visit our website at ccelderet.org or call us at 0718-012-496. That is 0718-012-496. See you next time.